Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at Romans. So Romans 1. And I'm going to read to you Romans 2. I don't know how many verses there are. Oh, a few. I'm going to read it to you. It's good, I think, to declare God's word openly. So in case you're looking up on a phone and you want to follow the exact words, I'm reading from the ESV, not the UK version, the, just the ESV, because that's the only one I got. Romans 2.1, therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are seeking self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness there will be wrath and fury there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil the Jew first and also the Greek but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good the Jew first and also the Greek for God shows no partiality For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires... They are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus." But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the Lord, dishonor God by breaking the law. 
For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision is indeed of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but breaks the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Amen. We've had a great time of worship this morning. It was absolutely fantastic. In fact, I think over the last, I don't know, three weeks or so, the worship has just lifted in some way. It's been absolutely fantastic. So thanks to you guys who put time in to lead us. You know, there is something about us as humanity that likes to focus on all the positive things about God. We've talked this morning and sung about his kindness and his grace and his mercy. And all those things are absolutely true. Absolutely true. There is not one of us here this morning that does not sit under the grace of God, does not sit under the mercy and the kindness of God. But as this passage said very clearly, God's kindness isn't to give us a warmness and an excuse for the way in which we live but it is in order that we might be led to repentance. And so we, so often in the 21st century church, we want to talk so and wax eloquent on the things like the kindness and the mercy and the graciousness of God. And we, all of us who follow him, know those things in our day-to-day lives. But the reality is when Paul is writing here, Paul is addressing something very straightforward. In chapter 1 last week, we looked quite simply, or chapter 1 when we looked at it, we looked quite simply at the fact that there are things that lead us away from God to be um, self-determining, to leave God out, to repress the truth about God in order that we might live the way we want. You might know that in James 1 it says something like this. In fact, I I read this the other night, so I'm going to actually look it up and read it again. Sin destroys our relationship with God. And it says this, we so often, you know, we, 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 we struggle with things and it says this blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him let no one say when he is tempted I am being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what his own desire 
Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. If I take a coin out of my pocket, there is a head where the sovereign's head is stamped on it. And there is a tails, as we call it. And I can't remember what's on the other side of the coin. So whatever it was, I can remember a thruppany bit used to have a pork colour skate on it, but that just ages me, all right? (laughs) So... Um, but there's a heads and a tails, but there are always two sides to everything. So God's justice, God's mercy, God's grace, God's kindness has an alternative side, which is God's judgment. Being held accountable for the way in which we live. And here in Romans, Paul is addressing a multifaceted group of people He's spoken to people who are Gentiles, people who are living without any real knowledge too much of God. And he is sort of showing, listen, when you live without the knowledge of God, these are some of the things that are happening. And as we move into chapter 2, what Paul is then doing is he is drawing the focus because I am sure there would have been people there who might not have even been followers of Jesus but didn't think they were too bad. Any of us who have ever tried to share the Christian faith with another person will possibly have experienced this. You talk to somebody about, we want to share with you about Jesus. He died on a cross for your sins. And, you know, he died and he he was buried and he rose again so that you might find forgiveness of sins in eternal life. And do you know what? The number of people who have said to me over the years, well, I'm, I, I try and do what's right. You know, I'm a good person. I, I volunteer. I, I, I give money to charity. You know, I, I try and do good things for people. I try not to say a bad word and it's all I'll try, I'll try, I'll try. And some of those people might even be brilliant enough to actually live out those words which they speak out but it's almost like I'm not saying that you know that there isn't sin and there aren't bad people Hitler often gets thrown into the conversation and the extermination of the Jews and that very often will get just thrown into the conversation I mean I'm not Hitler you know I'm not Saddam Hussein I'm not anything like any of those people and I want to say to you when someone turns to that and begins to self-justify around by pointing at the failings of others, they're lifting themselves into a place of moral superiority. And they're trying to justify themselves because in their eyes they are not as morally corrupt as someone else. But it doesn't work. Because Paul basically starts to unpack stuff. He starts to say, listen guys, there are those of you who believe that, you know, that the law was precious to the Jews, for instance. Circumcision was precious to the Jews. The fact that they were God's chosen people were precious to the Jews. These things were important to them. 
But then Paul pulls the rug. And he says, listen. And summing it up quite simply, he says, listen. Circumcision in the flesh means nothing unless you are circumcised of heart. Circumcision in the flesh is nothing unless you are circumcised of heart. So one of my first questions to you this morning is this, and it's a question for you to reflect on and meditate on. When we come to church and we sit and we participate in our songs and we feel good because we hear all about this wonderful grace and mercy and kindness and what is there for us to experience. Are we circumcised of heart? Or has our church just become circumcision of the flesh if you follow my logic if you don't I fully understand that but you see some folk come to church and they think that coming to church is the stuff of salvation if I come and I do my every week my twice a month my once a month my once every six weeks however often it happens to be I've done my bit I've done my bit You know, that's what makes me right with God. We wouldn't say it like that. Do you know, I know people who sit in church week after week. They could tell me the gospel verbally. And I can even look at myself sometimes and say this. But sometimes I've got stinking thinking. And I need a checkup from my neck up. Sometimes I don't always live what I preach. (laughs) Sometimes. In fact, one guy once told me, whatever you preach, be prepared to be tested on it in the next two weeks. And the number of times that is so true. You preach on forgiveness and then somebody wrongs you and all you want to do is call hellfire and brimstone down on them and get even And then you suddenly, those words come back to you. You preached on forgiveness. Are you going to live this? Or is it just words? I find that I can sometimes make moral judgments. How many of us know that we can judge people? Honestly, is there anybody here who hasn't? Put your hand up. Maybe I'll do it that way. I I find it so easy to judge people by their actions you know, and judge myself by my intention. I am sure the people Paul is addressing have good intentions. They have good intentions. And so we've got Gentiles. We've got this group in between who are what I would say um, moral superior people who think because they don't do those things that Paul listed, they're okay. And then he moves on and he talks to to the actual Jews and he puts to them something which I'm going to tell you, when I read this, when I started looking at this, I thought, 
actually, if there were Jews amongst them, which I am sure there was, because he's addressing them, what you're saying to them would have been initially a bit of a, what? What are you saying? What are you saying? They were blessed because they had the law. They were blessed because circumcision is the sign of the covenant. They were blessed. They were chosen by God, not because of their greatness, but because he loved them. Right? And I'm not saying that Paul is saying God doesn't love his people. He does. But what he doesn't love is when people rely on that love in order to seem to get a pass into heaven. In my life as a pastor, over 40 odd years of ministry, I've come across numerous different types of people in church around the whole issue of Israel. There are those who think that every Jew is going to heaven regardless just because they're a Jew. There are those who, once you mention anything about Jews, they listen to you intently because they're looking for your error. But I want to say to you this morning, being a Jew, being circumcised in the flesh isn't what's going to get you into heaven. It is the circumcision of the heart. And even God says that in the Old Testament. He refers to people who uh, he, in fact he, at one point he refers to the Gentiles as those who not are uncircumcised in the flesh but uncircumcised in the heart and so it's our heart which is of the essence it also says here in fact some people might think Paul contradicts himself on one moment he seems to be saying we're justified by faith and faith alone and in this passage he starts talking about how that faith outworks itself and about obedience you know I'm just trying to find the actual verse I am looking for for all all who have sinned without the law will perish without the law and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Now, some people turn around and say, so is Paul. Is he having a problem here? He's told everybody they're justified by faith and faith alone. Now he seems to be saying the law's there. What, what's going on? I read this just this morning in John Stott's book on Romans. Justification is by faith, but judgment will be according to works. And then he writes these words, the presence or absence of saving faith in our hearts will be disclosed by the presence of good works of love in our lives. Everyone, ex and then I wrote this having read on, Every one of us will experience eternal life. Now that might surprise you. Every one of us will experience eternal life. It will be the destination that can be different. 
Now, we can argue, if you like, well, that if you're in hell, then it can't be life, can it? It's pretty rough. All right? And I understand that argument. But it suddenly hit me this morning, just as I was re-meditating on this passage and, and, and just flicking through, reading something out of this book by John Stott on Romans, it suddenly hit me that all people will experience eternal life, but they will experience it in one of two ways. We do not believe that the Bible teaches all roads lead to God. We do not believe that the Bible teaches that actually in the end God will forgive everybody. We don't believe that. Some people might, but I, I, I want to shatter your illusion this morning, if that is you. We are not universalist in nature. You can be sincerely wrong, despite your sincerity. The reality is we will all spend eternity in one place, or another, and I wrote this, everyone experiences eternal life, but the question is, where will we spend it? Verse 9 here says, there will be tribulation and distress, whilst verse 10 talks about glory, honour and peace. So the big question for us always is going to be, Am I circumcised of heart? Does God have my heart? Not my emotions, because emotions come and go. When it's a great meeting, it's a great time. When we have a morning where it doesn't go quite so well, then the spirit wasn't there. A lot of that is just poppycock. I understand why we say those things, but seriously... God is here. We're gathering in his name. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. That's not a promise. That's not a, an excuse for smallness, but it is a promise of his presence no matter what size you are meeting together. The moment you meet with another believer, you are assured of the presence of God in your midst amongst the two of you or the three of you or the five of you or the 10 of you or the 20 or the 50 or the... Hundred or the thousands, it makes no odds. God isn't particularly predisposed to big churches. He's predisposed to people who are circumcised of heart. And so I, I want to give you that question. Where is your heart this morning? Are you circumcised of heart? When you leave this place, are you a different person? Not because of what is preached, But because when you leave this room and you are not in the presence of other people, you are someone completely different. Bill Hybels once wrote a book and it was entitled, Who Are You When No One Else Is Watching? Who are you when no one else is watching? There is a huge challenge in that title. I don't want you to panic. I'm just turning my first page over and I've got three others. But I've already preached some of what's on those other pages. All right. So Paul is dealing with what is wrong with this world and how it gets put right. Paul is dealing and he wants us to understand the greatness of the salvation that is available to us. Is the gospel to you foolishness or power? 
That's a question as well for you today. Is the gospel for you foolishness or power? You know, in, when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, for the message of the cross is foolish to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. What is your view of the gospel? Does it sound foolish to you? Or do you recognize the power that is contained therein? We don't need to look at our papers or listen to our TV or radio necessarily. In fact, sometimes recently I've listened to things and I've thought, well, I don't even know why I watch these things anymore. The news is so biased so often to whatever they have deemed is right over wrong. We've got radio. We've got, we can listen to the radio. I mean, the other day, just on, I, I mean, what do you reckon on this? This is where our world is going. Exeter University are offering the first degree in witchcraft. Can you believe that? It's being commented on in the States. I didn't even know that was on the cards. I happened to read it by accident from a leader's online thing that came to me. I just can't believe where we're going. Where everything that in times past that has been known and, and absolutely clearly as evil is now being turned on its head and apparently is good. It's wicked, you know, but used in the modern sense. But it is wicked. It is wicked. So when Paul finds, and he starts to address the Jews, he has pushed back, no doubt, because he, he really does unpack things. But the thing that comes out of this second chapter for me is how easy it is for us to stand in judgment. <clears throat> I wish I wasn't so good at it. Being able to see the faults in other people and so blind to see in my own. And sometimes, do you know what? It doesn't even bother me. That's the problem. You see, I don't think Paul wants us to judge any of these groups. Whether they are morally bankrupt, as he seems to be saying in that first group, or whether they're morally superior in the second, or whether they're relying on their special position, Right? I think what Paul is doing, he is trying to bring them to a place purely and simply that they see the beauty of the gospel that was brought in the giving of Jesus Christ. Somehow, Paul is trying to say that there is no one who is treated with partiality in any of these groups. No one. Being born into a Christian home isn't going to cut it. 
like I was. In fact, to be honest with you, I struggled being born into a Christian home, not because my parents did anything wrong particularly, but because I had to fight to find my own faith. I wasn't one of those Christian kids who just, I, I, I kicked against the goads big time. In fact, sometimes I am surprised that my parents were as gracious with me as they were. And yet sometimes as a kid, I didn't think they were gracious with me at all. But there's no partiality. Being born into two parents being Christian or you've got a mum who's a Christian or a dad who's a Christian, that's not going to save you. You know, being Jewish isn't going to save you. The only thing that will save you is when you ask God to circumcise your heart. Where you are prepared to not stand in resistance to what he asks. But you say, God, and when we pray, we sing. We sing a song when I was young. I surrender all, I surrender all. All to Jesus, I surrender. I surrender all. The number of times I've heard that sung in a church service. The number of times I sang it in a church service but didn't let God circumcise my heart. I have good news for you this morning and that good news is Jesus Christ. I have good news for you this morning. Our sins can be forgiven. Our sinfulness is pure and simply our resistance to give God our heart at the end of the day and surrender all to him. And that should challenge every one of us, not just as an altar call moment and all the rest of it, okay? But it should it should challenge every one of us. Paul also said somewhere else in his writings, examine yourselves to see that you are still in the faith. You see, we can become proud and arrogant to the point that we no longer take care about the way we live. There is a little verse in that scripture that I read to you this morning I'm trying to remember how it is said because there's so many words and I've written so many notes around the page I probably will never find it. Oh yes, here it is. My eyes are lighted on it. You who boast in the law dishonour God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. When I... In fact, I, only, I, I really only picked that verse as I read the scripture this morning. It jumped off the page to me. The reason so often the gospel is not acceptable to the world around us, to people in our families, to people in our workplaces, to people, friends, neighbours. They might party with you, get on with you but they may never come to Christ because of you and because of me. 
Because if I live a life which dishonors God and I speak with my mouth something different, guess which one wins? It's my life lived that wins. It nullifies my speech. It makes everything I say sound like a clanging cymbal. And if you've heard a clanging cymbal, it's shrill. And it can be painful on the ear. I really just want to say to us, do you know we've got a glorious gospel? There is only one way to live the Christian life. And that is, a friend of mine used this phrase, all in. All in. He asked me that not long after I came here. Are you all in? And I know that I desperately want to be all in. I want God to change my life, that I reflect him more and more. I'm not trying to earn my salvation, but I am aware that the way in which I live shows whether I am truly saved or I am not. I'm justified by faith, but I am judged by what I do in response to what God requires of me. Let's just pray. I'm just going to ask the guys to play this song that I mentioned, I Surrender All. Not because I want to emotionally manipulate you, because I don't. And I would suggest even however you respond to God this morning, personally and privately as we sit here and we sing this song, I would suggest that if you can this week, you carve out, even if it's just small amounts of time, to spend with God and ask yourself that question, am I truly circumcised in heart? Yeah? Because I don't want to emotionally manipulate you. And music can have that power, and I recognize that. But I can tell you this, I can only speak personally because at the end of the day, I'm a married man, but when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, Liz isn't going to be there next to me saying, hold on a minute, Lord, he didn't really mean that. No, Lord, Lord, you've misunderstood. I'm going to be stood in front of him on my own. Because at the end of the day, every one of us has to stand before the judgment seat of Christ on our own. on our own and so I'm going to read you just something while um, Neil makes sure he's got the tune alright I meant to use this because I thought this was a great illustration not mine but by a guy called Francis Schaeffer a Christian philosopher And it's in his book, The Church at the End of the 20th Century. He says, imagine every person has a voice recorder hung about their neck that captures all the moral judgments with which they judge other people. Eventually, each person stands before God and God simply says to them, press play. So each person hears in their own words all those statements by which they have assessed others. And then God simply says, 
Now, where do you stand in the light of your own moral standards? Yeah. There wouldn't be anybody here, I can be assured, because not unless I'm an oddity, and that's always a possibility, but who won't know where we have passed judgment, moral judgment on others at different times in our life. And what we want to do is we want to bring ourselves to God. We want to ask God to forgive us if we're living in any of that first bit of life, if we've been morally superior or whether we're relying on something religious, even just relying on the grace of God. Hear me, hear me when I say that, that I'm now just doing what I like because, do you know what? It doesn't matter, does it? Because I will be forgiven. God's forgiven me. It's just a mistake. No, it's sin. Okay, thanks. Thanks.